You've changed since you got the free grand piano, man. It's changed your life. You're fussy. Yeah. You come in and just criticize like that. This is our 10th show, Chris, and you just felt like you should just uh, take a swing at me, man. Like, I don't know. It's 100% out of jealousy, man. <laughs> like, really. You could have the piano. I wouldn't say play it for it, because I think that thing would be walking out the door pretty fast, but you can come over anytime and play it. That sounds great. Do you have a favorite piano that you would gravitate if you had a choice to call your pianos for a show you're traveling around the world what would you pick i absolutely love uh Bujendorfers. i'll never have one because they're so expensive but uh i love um yeah I, I just love the the sound of them uh, the action's a little, usually a little heavier, um, but... Uh, and it has additional keys in the bass, is that right? Yeah, I think you can actually get different variations of that, because I know, I think some of them split it, you get ones on the the top end and it's as well on the bottom end. Um, but yeah, they're they're beautiful. There's a really nice one in uh, a studio, Dan Lin Studios. Yeah. I and that one actually was played by Oscar Peterson. And you enjoyed that piano. I remember Dan. I think he's still said, trying to sell it. Is he? Yeah. It came from some someplace by the university or something. And Bruce Bischoff, who's a piano yeah. tuner here in Edmonton, was talking about that thing. Yeah, it was an, uh, either a railroad tycoon or an oil tycoon. Now, now like, I heard that you, when you played it, you actually were very emotional, truly quite emotional when you played it. Yeah, it's just, I mean, you're playing a piano that Oscar Peterson for me was, um, still is, uh, one of my favorite piano players, but he was, he kind of triggered the whole So does journey. it go like, some days it's Matt Day, sometimes it's Oscar, like, how yeah. is that for you? You know, like, it's it's a pretty even split, It it's usually Matt influence like uh let's say 7 a.m till 3 p.m and then oscar's 3 p.m on like yeah yeah so, so, so it's a pretty even split so when you're not at home then that's when matt day's playing in your house when you come home you turn the oscar on that's cool yeah yeah you that's know. sweet so busendorfer um to say it right because it's a guy it was an actual guy in 1920 uh, 1828 that piano um was invented and they that was the time when they were um the pianos were boxy back in, in the day, and uh, I was actually going to talk about the piano. We should we can get into that now, but 1709 was basically the when the piano finally made the switch to uh, not a plucked instrument. Before that, it was harpsichord, which the strings were plucked, yeah. and there was no um, there was no variance in volume. It was you had the volume you had. So a lot of those ha like handle and anything like that, the Baroque stuff sounds so cool because it's got that harpsichord being so percussive in the background. But uh, a guy named Bartolomeo. Um, Bartolomeo Cristofori de Francisco is the actual guy who was, and he, he'd been designing harpsichords for, he was a master at it, had this idea to, to create a new uh, instrument where the keys were actually, or the strings were actually hammered. Yeah. So it allowed, uh, so I guess if, and I, what I think I like about his name is Christopher, your name is Chris, his name was Cristofori, last name was Cristofori de Francisco, uh, de from, from Francesco. Yeah, and both of those names, if you uh, isolate it, have Christ in them. That's right. So you're like the Messiah, a musical Messiah. In, I mean, I'm, in, in I'm not saying, but I am saying. It's that Lutheran thing coming out of you. Yeah. So you basically, you're from Campbell River, so you'd be Christofori de Campbell, de Campbell River. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. That's how you. It's got a nice, nice ring to it. It's got to be nice. Have you speaking of this? The history of the piano. Have you ever been to uh, the Piano Museum in Calgary at the National Music Center? I don't think so. No, I... it used to be called Cantos. Okay, uh, and it was. It's probably the largest collection of uh, piano piano instruments uh, in North America. Really? Yeah, and it was donated by some some guy started collecting these these pianos passed away and donated it to him. But they have, like, they have, um, it's amazing. You should go. They've got the box pianos. They've got, like, a, a piano that was designed for um, piano duos, but it's all oh. one. Sweet. So it's, they've got the square grand piano. Uh, they've got, they even had a, a grand piano where the, the, the strings were on the, I believe the strings were on the top the lid and so you close it but it's massive it's beautiful and then and they've got yeah, all that's here in calgary i went to one in phoenix or the music um, uh, i think this amazing one, museum in phoenix this one might even be might be bigger but they and then they have all the synth stuff too so they've got oh, like sweet. the oh what is it basically you walk into this room and there's it's the synthesizer one of the first ones is about the size of the room and they actually i think a couple of years ago and I can't remember the guy's name, very famous electronic musician, actually came in and they brought him in. I think he must be like 80-ish now. And he he did a composition on this. Really? Yeah. But it's and massive. That, so you can go in. And, and you can play. Did you go in and play anything there? You know what? I haven't gone <clears throat> through when they since they moved. Moved it. Um, but in the old building... You could actually they they toured you around and they had someone. Um, oh, this is this is a piano from this time. This is what Sweet. would be played on it, and then you could play it. And then the synths they had all out too, so it had all the vintage synths. Sweet. Um, it was pretty amazing. And they had this set up with uh, the pipe organ, so the bellows that these dudes would be in the basement of the church and then like pumping these massive. So there was someone actually doing that. That's how they got yeah. the... Yeah. Amazing. And now I'm not sure if they've got that that same setup because I haven't gone through it. I've been in the building, which yeah. is an amazing building and a center, but I haven't I haven't uh, gone through and done the tour of, of all that. But That'd be a podcast. Oh, 100%. Right? You could do a remote podcast there and go through. It, it would be... <coughs> The guy, actually, the guy that, uh, he was just after us, Andrew Mosker, piano player. Um, he was friends with, what's the piano player, Nate out in Jasper? Yeah, Nate Strong. They were really, really tight. Yeah. So he would have been at McEwen just after you, okay. I think. And then he he's the, the president of this. Okay. Nice, but uh, if you have a chance, it's it's absolutely amazing, and you can see all the history and because the bending started with um, bending the plywood started with Steinway, uh, which would have been 1853 or something like that. Um, that was a whole new. So that'd be cool to see that evolution of of that shape because who doesn't love that shape now? It's just a yeah, 
Yeah, that's that'd be very cool to see that. Yeah, yeah, the Phoenix one was was cool too. The history of that. I think what I like about those museums is that you think all of the all of the stories that have been on this piano. There was one out here in in Stony Plain. There's a piano. that's about a hundred years old. It's at that. Um, there's a pavilion out in Stony Plain. If you're not from Edmonton, Stony Plain's about 25 minutes west of Edmonton. Nice little town. And I was playing this morning breakfast event one time, and I'm playing on the piano, and, and it's, it's pretty cool. I, I don't even know the name of the piano. And a guy came up to me, an old guy, and he said, uh, you like that piano? I said, yeah, it's a great piano. It's really cool. It's like, I've never seen anything like this before, just, just the design, everything about it. And he said it was my wife's. I said, that piano was 100 and some years old. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Now that's got a story. He said, we bought this in the United Kingdom. Then we moved to Australia. It came to Australia with us. And then it came to Canada when she came here. And she she passed away a number of years ago. And he got it you know, refurbished and, and uh, all tuned up. But it had this story of how many people have been on that piano and all this stuff before she got it. So I love that idea of, of these stories. Who was there? Who, what kids had to go through their lessons? How many kids were had their knuckles wrapped by a mean piano teacher with that yeah, stick? Yeah. You know, And how many love songs were composed on on this thing so that'd be the cool thing is all that going back and the the ghosts right that w- that would have been well in a there's sense. an energy attached to it there certainly yeah yeah there would be so do you think that do you As really the, those lights just flicker i know that they? was that was weird wasn't it yeah that wasn't me yeah uh do you so you think that do you think there's an energy and stuff like if you yeah really eh? i don't so know to sp- what extent spooky, but man. I don't know what to what extent, but you know, if you're you pick up something that's you know, someone has put so much energy and time on. Right. You know, and it's wood, it's organic, there's gotta be some something attached to that. Okay, I'm gonna tell you a ghost story. I don't I don't know I don't know if I believe in ghosts and I'm I don't believe in UFOs anymore. Like a few months ago I kinda did, but now I, fo- I really don't. You're done. I'm done. Okay. I'll tell you why, but I'll tell you the ghost story. Well, it's not really a ghost story, but my son kind of picks up on, on stuff like kind of vibey stuff in the house and things like that. He's anyway. So my mom, uh, died in 2017, uh, out near where you used to live out in Campbell, Campbell river. It's not your fault, but it was out in that area. Sounded like you were just kind of, I was sort of blaming it. Blaming I, you me. weren't even there. It wasn't, she was 90 years old. She had a good life, but she, my mom had a really nice touch on the piano, but because when she grew up in the era she grew up, she didn't get a lot of lessons, but had she, she would have been a fine piano player. She had a real musicality about her and she came, she only ever played. And I think, I, I think I told you this on a podcast once she played, um, dun, 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 uh, birth of the blues. That was the one song oh, wow. and she played it in E flat all the time. And so I would, I would listen to her playing this song and she'd show me this and a little stride. She kind of did this little weak kind of stride thing, but she had a, a nice feel about it. So my son, a few months after my mom died, my son is here in the house alone. And he said, Hey dad, when I was here, uh, the piano played, I'm like, pianos don't play by themselves. He goes, yeah, there were some notes that were played on the piano in your room. I'm like, dude, there was no one here. There was no like MIDI thing circulating that I hadn't shut off or whatever. So I went in the in the in the room and I played um, a couple of different notes. He go, and he, I said, "Was it these notes?" I played like a C and a G. He goes, "Nope, nope, nope." Said no. And I thought, "Okay." Just went to E flat and I played da 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 da. He goes, "Yep, that's it." I'm like, "Oh, dude, that was weird because there was no way." He goes, and it was I played him three or four different samples, but it was the notes that my mom had played to me years ago 
that was the, what played on, the, on my piano and my... Wow, man. Yeah, so we were like all kind of goosebumpy. So, okay, come back to energy. Maybe there's something there, but what do you think that is? I don't know. I, I mean, I, 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 I believe in that. I don't know how I would explain it, but music is an energy, so why couldn't it be absorbed by... You know, we absorb it. Right. You know, if you're, if I'm listening to you play, I'm absorbing that energy that you're putting out through the instrument. You, you know? said you play my music from 7 in the morning to 3 p.m. when you're away from your house. So you don't even hear. So you're, you're all this talk, but you're really, yeah, I caught you. This is super awkward. It's not often that you get Chris Andrew caught on tape. Yeah, this is... Uh, Okay, let's move on. So that's done. That's done. Nice segue. But I, I guess you're right. I mean, it's 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 wood. There's something about it. There's and so you would have felt that energy playing that Bosendorfer at the at yeah, that studio. and plus that the connection of you know the player, the artist that got me involved, yeah, played that piano, and it is you know, it is my favorite piano. If I had the fifty grand, I think that's what he's selling it for there would be no hesitation it takes you a month to make that kind of money a, a month or do you mean dough. 50 years a lot of dough man i think that's what you mean and he does want to sell it doesn't he he so does what if he moved it to your house and you rent to own it yeah i mean that would be ideal but i think he wants to actually sell it and like like really yeah yeah, he's at that age. Actually, I think they want to actually end up moving him and his wife, retiring. Um, they yeah, are kind of retired, but retiring from the having his studio and moving moving out to Vancouver Island, I think. It's a cool studio. You go in there, it looks like a woodworking shop, and you go in this other door, it's a studio, then you go through the other door, and it's a bar. Yeah, it's... it's He's... Yeah, yeah, he's... But anyways, he's, that, yeah, the piano plays beautifully. Uh, there's legacy to it. Mm -hmm. It's... Uh, but in saying that, it all depends on the piano too. Like uh, there's times where I, you know, Steinway I love Yamaha. It all depends. Yeah. But I, uh, I think that it's the tone and the action. There's just the way the, the Bosendorfer plays that it just it hits hits me. I love the way you say it too. I say Bosendorfer, but you say Bosendorfer because you understand that. Oh, I don't know. Right. Maybe I'm saying it no, wrong. No, I think you are. That's the Bosendorfer. Right. No, I think you got it. Bosendorfer. <laughs> hey, be careful. But Oscar got into those because he was a Yamaha guy for a while, I think. And then he got into, didn't he experience a Bosendorf, Bosendorfer? Well, I sound like Sean Connery. You buy me a Bosendorfer, I'll send one to the hospital. So, oh, but he, he, that was, he became, that became the piano that he, Loved yeah. it at the end, didn't yeah. it, for him? I don't know what the switch was, but yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, I read that a piano came across on the Hindenburg um, back in the day, across the Atlantic in the in, in the Hindenburg. First piano to ever do that. Hindenburg. Is that that blimp? That's the blimp, and it caught fire. So, but I don't know if it was on that trip that it came across. Watch Just your, thinking about that. Why haven't they they brought back that the blimp? somehow? <laughs> like to tra air travel like that. But can you imagine like... Environmental? Like it, obviously in a safe manner, yeah. not... What did they use? Hydrogen. Hydrogen. Bad. Hydrogen lightning, bad. Yeah. 
coming up with another concept and then doing a trip from like, say Edmonton Helium. to Vancouver yeah, through the mountains at a, like a decent height and you're going slow and you've got a dining facility. You've got, got the piano on be there. Pretty heavy. Yeah. It'd be pretty Maybe cool. Something we can work on, but it has to be an open ended. Cause I don't think blimps don't they have to just kind of go where the wind goes. They can't just, no, they don't. Do they that. have, they have propellers on there. Yeah. I thought they just kind of went, you see it kind no, of no. open ended ticket. Yeah. You're, you're leaving Rome. We don't know where you're going, but you know, roll the dice. You might end <laughs> up in Iraq. Car stairs. Car stairs. Rome to car stairs to Balzac. Rome. Any of those. Yeah. Blimps. We never thought we'd get into blimps on the show. Yeah. So, uh, the, and the Yamaha piano, uh, that was 1900, and it was uh, Torakuso Yamaha, I think, is is the name of the guy. And he built an upright piano. For motorcycles, right? Yeah. Isn't that a cool... Come on, that's a cool company. And they made skis. They make boat engines. Uh, audio equipment. Yeah. Like... Yeah, Yamaha, that's a, that is pretty cool. And it is, yeah. Talk about diversifying. Yeah. Imagine that board meeting, like, okay, you know, we sell pianos. What else should we do? I don't know. Let's try skis and uh, boats. Let's do that for a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, pretty pretty cool. Um, the Bosendorfer guy, he didn't get into the into that, though. So if you are, if you're studying the piano and you're looking at the instrument, which I love, is the mechanics... Go online and just take a cross section of the action of uh, of the piano. So we have to have eighty eight of those little hammers doing what they do, and there's so many parts within that. Just watching it alone, and uh, that piano museum would would show that. Oh yeah, as well. But you watch it in slow motion. You can watch these slowed down videos of how the hammer has to base instantly come back and be ready to play again uh, to be able to have that action fire off like it does. Like the, it's gen- it's genius times eighty eight or however many keys you've got. You got to have that many. It's stunning what's going on. There. It really is, you yeah. know. And then, actually, even seeing—I uh, don't know if you've seen it—where they pull the action out mm-hmm. of the piano. Bruce does when he comes and tunes his piano. Yeah, he the whole thing right out. It's it's pretty heavy just looking at that. Yeah. And I know the um, uh, what's the guy's name? Calgary piano tuner. Uh, this guy was tuning for a very famous piano player, Benny Green, who came out of Oscar Peterson. And this guy designed this portable keyboard um, that was real action that was about this big. Mm-hmm. And you could adjust it much like you could adjust the action on a grand piano. So what he would use it for was he'd call ahead and find out how the piano was gauged. And then you'd make those adjustments. And so he was going to Japan to play with Ray Brown on the plane. He's got this keyboard and he can sit there for six hours Come playing on. it yeah and he would show up to the gig kind of knowing how that piano was going to feel that's pretty wild yeah well back in the day the concert pianists would travel on train from from city to city they'd have to have a, they had a similar thing and they would just have it in there in you know with them and they'd be able to work on all their stuff just action no no sound come out of it but that's be, be the same kind of thing i didn't have know that, that. that's yeah. They had it to makes sense, it. yeah. You know, and some pianos there. I heard that there were some places back when they were switching from A four forty was only, you know, basically after the after the war that that change. I think the standard had been thirty seven, or was it was it higher? I think it was. I think it was not up on that, but but they, yeah, so you could you could have some of these concert halls in Russia. I heard that you could choose. They'd have three different pianos tuned to different 
um, different, ta- different um, uh, centers. So the orchestra, you know, would, would choose if they had something, a brighter uh, thing they wanted, they, they would choose the brighter piano yeah. and, and tune up to it. So, um, and the other thing I was, I found interesting on the piano is that there's, they say there's between 220 to 240 strings required on the piano that can result in 20, up to 20 tons of actual pressure on, on the piano when it, when it's fully, when it's fully wow. tuned, 20 tons. I thought it was, and I read that, I'd, I'd check it out in a couple of different, a couple of different places, but that's a lot of weight. Yeah. So I get it. So all that stuff, I think I maybe kind of come back to what you said about energy. If there, there's that much going on in the piano and then there's that much going on with the human times, how many humans have brought their story and their touch to the piano. Okay. I'll, I'll hang on to your thought for a while. I think I'll, yeah, I I'll think, think I'll run I don't, it. I can't explain it. I can't, I believe it. I don't yeah. understand it. Is it a mindset though? Cause I remember Glenn Gould had a piano here in Edmonton at King's college. One of his pianos was here. And I remember I got to play that piano and, uh, I wondered like when I sat down, Glenn Gould played on this piano. And for those of you who don't know, Glenn Gould was a famous Canadian piano player, died in, um, 1982. He was 50 years old, young guy. A lot of these people died young. But amazing, very eccentric, right? He'd bring yeah. this tiny little bench, like this tiny little chair when he'd, he'd go and play. Uh, and very interesting to watch him because he'd hum and sing, much like Oscar, he would sing kind of when he'd play. And, you know, Bach was his, his thing. But just knowing that Glenn Gould had played this piano, is it that mindset or is there an energy from Glenn left over? Or am I just picking it up because, okay, Glenn played this piano, therefore respect it more or something? Well, it's probably, a, there could be a bit of both. Yeah. Like if... Yeah, you, I think there's a bit of both, for sure. If you acknowledge the fact that, and respect the fact that, hey, this amazing artist played this piano, maybe that activates this energy flow. Something. You know? And if you're ignorant to it, you're not going to pick up on that, or you, yeah. you're not going to really tune into that. But I think that, you know, it's a transfer. And you hear it more in, like, it's interesting when you go to like string instruments and I've heard uh, many of my, my friends who play bass, when someone else picks up their acoustic bass and plays it and it sounds so different. Yeah. And it's like this, the, the resonance, how they're hitting it with their, their, or plucking it with their, their fingers. Like it's, it's amazing. And even with piano, I remember doing a, uh, Remember Homes, uh, Homestead Studios? They, I, can, I think they had a Yamaha in there. And I remember Ruben did a session with the Brennan Brothers, and they brought in one of my favorite piano players, Jeff Keezer, who, again, was heavily influenced by Oscar. And Ruben was like, you know, I love you, man, but that piano sounded completely different. And it was the way that he was just the way he attacked it. It's like, it sounded like a completely different instrument. And, and how do you, okay, I want, I want, maybe we should do this because I, you've talked about tonal. Well, let me come back to something before you talked about at a couple of podcasts ago about the muse when something hits you. And so I'm, I'm picking up this whole energy thing. I'm, I'm getting it more because I'm seeing that connected. So you've got, you've got something outside you affecting you and now you're affecting the object, which is the piano. It's in turn re- 
affecting the atmosphere that's around you, in turn affecting you back and maybe pleasing that muse that was, there's this whole cycle. So yeah, so I wasn't a believer like 10 minutes ago. Now you see, I'm a pretty quick convert. Yeah. So um, where was I going with that? We're talking about um, the feel, the, the tone. You talk about tone on the piano and I sit at the piano and go, yeah, what does he mean? How, how do you actually get your tone? Because you'll talk about this piano player's got great tone. So if you went, we only have one mic on the piano, so we might not be able to hear it, but can you go explain to me and demonstrate what that means to actually create different tone on the piano? Because I never, I would think, oh, tone of the guitar, tone of the violin. I, but what this, you, this is a really interesting, and this is something that I've just kind of be, you know, late in life, probably at an early age when I was playing acoustic piano a lot when I yeah. lived at home and was taking classical lessons, I'd be more in tune to it. 95% of what I do is on keyboards from probably, yeah, probably just out, you know, 92, 93. So years. And then just recently, you know, since being around, uh, the school more at McEwen, like spending more time on acoustic piano, I really realized I have no concept or had no concept of, because you're on a keyboard, hit it. Does its thing. Does its thing. It'll sound, the tone will sound good depending on this, the sample, right? And then getting to a piano and overplaying and going, why is, it just sounds like I'm a, it's like I've never played before. So this is a recent thing for me trying to explore how to get a good tone out of a piano. Can you show me? Can you I talk? can try, go, hopefully. Go talk it through a little bit. So we have a, in the studio here, we have a piano, for those of you who are just listening for the first time, about uh, 10 feet away from me. So we get to walk over there. We got microphones over there and all that stuff. So Chris can talk and explain this. But what I don't, I don't get that. Like I, I get it when it's a, a violin or I get it on a saxophone. I understand that. I don't understand it on the, on the, on the piano. So, but if you like, man, there's been some great clinics. Uh, there was a great clinic at McEwen a number of years ago with Hal Galper, a great piano player. And he, yeah. How do I explain this? He would talk about that and talk about playing chords and how even, and the, even just this makes a big difference where he would sit there and play a chord and make sure everything is hitting at the same time instead of Fla kind of flamming, flamming it yeah. or like equal weight. So when he would, he would work on that and just get the consistency. So whatever you're doing, so it'll drive you nuts too. But when you hit it all together, see, like I'm, there's a little bit of flam in there, but when yeah. it's, when it's engaged and when you listen to these masters play, like when you listen to Oscar play, it's just dead on. And then every note is sounding. It's got this weight to it. Every note means something. 
And so, so part of achieving that talk- tone then is is that consistency. And like, if you look at a MIDI edit list, you you look at your your list after of of the weighting, you know, and where where each of those lands, you can really see if you play a chord, how different in, in, with the three fingers. And I think that's that all going to change because right now it's zero through 127. Yeah. With MIDI two, which hasn't really been implemented, it's going to change everything. So because now the, instead of zero through 127, I think it's zero, like hundreds of thousand. Oh, insane. Like it's, it's going to be massive. So maybe with yeah. piano samples, all of a sudden You've got so much more detail that can be triggered, and we thought 127. If you don't, if you're not into MIDI, MIDI is just an acronym for Musical Instrument Digital Interface, basically, and allows us to play electronic uh, instrument and activate uh, certain sounds. But it does give us a range of of numeric range from zero being nothing to one to 127 being the loudest you can basically achieve. Um, in a in a in volume in that so that, that and, vlo- be, velocity, and velocity yeah. all that stuff yeah. so now all of a sudden if you have that the texture think of like like all those details that now you can trigger that is kind of being squished together yeah so. but the tone thing like Again, it's just being aware of of how you're playing the piano and um, it really does open up this whole other world, you know, uh, and having that control. So for example, for me, I tend in a band setting and sometimes in solo piano to overplay, to play like... Like really heavy, where I could, if I all of a sudden relax on it and put that energy instead of the weight going in, I'm now putting that energy into how I'm actually getting the tone out of the piano. Like if I hit it like this. There's still energy there, but I might get a different tone. Okay. And that's why you you know, if if you get a number of different piano players on this, they're all it's all gonna sound it's all gonna sound different. But you have to be aware of that. And there's a bit there's a bit of a beauty in that, isn't there? I had a piano student years ago and it was again we were it was all keyboards so we weren't didn't have that ability to do what you're doing right now but i said let's both play a chord so we both played a c major chord and and then i looked at mine looked at hers and we looked at our our midi data after and all the different variations 91 96 90 and i said which which person's midi data is better she said well i don't know i said exactly i said you bring a musical fingerprint to the world that I don't bring. And she had this beautiful tone, the way she touched the piano, it was unbelievable. And just she just and every time I hear her play, she's got something. 
I can't explain it. But she's she's got that thing. And I just said, no one's is better or worse, but someone may you know, enjoy this person's over someone else's. But you have that fingerprint, that musical fingerprint or that signature that every time you touch it, it's just beautiful. There's something that, you know, you've got, and you have a that tone that's just great. When you play just that, just your chord progressions, it's just rich and consistent. Thank you. you that's something to, that but you told I me to say that earlier. You said, Matt, please tell me that I'm rich and consistent. You remember you said say that, that <laughs> yeah. earlier. I that's the the number one thing that I I try to work on is my consistency. I don't think I'm consistent the way that I want to be consistent because, and it's just like I said within the last probably two years, I really spent that time. Like when I have time to actually sit down is is getting used to how I'm playing as opposed to like this, to being, being aware of how each, like how I'm hitting each one of these notes. It makes, it makes a difference. It, it, it'll drive me crazy because, you know, a lot of times I'll slow it down. And try to be consistent. And I wasn't, wasn't there. I had a lesson with another, uh, like a, uh, a great um, Edmonton uh, pianist that uh, lived in New York. And now I believe he lives in... Uh, uh, Vancouver, John Stetch. Yeah. And I remember having a lesson with him and talking about this years ago. And it, it was discouraging for the fact that here's this guy that is a monster player. And he's like, yeah, I spent years and years. I went to this classical teacher in, in New York and he was talking about, this is the, the way you have to play it. And I, it drove me crazy because he would just sit there and go, being aware, like even slower than this and being aware of each note and the weight of each note. And he's like, yeah, I, I spent years on this Jay. and I'm only getting into it now. And I'm like, oh my God, if, if you're only getting into now, I have no, ch no chance, but it, it, it makes sense because you're, you're listening to the weight and you're listening to the tone but then you're also feeling how how that note sounds right. and how it feels in your in your body so that when you speed it up that consistency is there and that transfers that's like anything golf tennis whatever it's anything. That slow and and develop okay speaking of slow why don't we take a little musical break can you just improvise something beautiful for us for like a minute or something you don't have to talk through it, but just, just play a little bit for us.
I think is a great part of our podcast to be able to just take those breaks. And I, I think it's a bit of a metaphor of life uh, is that in the middle of all of our conversations, sometimes it's nice to slow down and just um, do what Chris uh, is doing over there. Nice tone. So I'm going to go play um, back to back, which has already intimidated me thinking about it. But I wonder why we talk like that. Why do we always put those caveats in there? Why can't I just do what I said about we all have our musical fingerprint, like I told that student and believe it too? Isn't that weird? a weird thing? So you, you can, Well, the uh, same reason that when you asked me to improvise something, I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? And then it takes me... The whole time I'm like, okay, people are going to listen to this and judge me for what I did at that moment. Yeah. Instead of going, right. I've got this great opportunity to create something out of nothing and it lives in that moment i'm just i'm taking and this is i'm just telling you what was going on in my mind as soon right. as you asked me to do that and even though you know i'm going to ask you i ask you every time but you still it's still that yeah and it would be i mean it's it, it's less intimidating for me to do that but still intimidating but if you ask me to go play a, a tune um, in my head, I'm like, oh, what the hell am I going to play? What right. tune am I going to play? It, it triggers a whole other different thing. Whereas you just said improvise. And this is what I'm feeling. Yeah. So it's, it, it shouldn't be like that. Like, but you're always worried about someone listening to it and oh, judging you for that, just, for that uh, moment. And that yeah. instead of, taking this opportunity where I'm like, hey, I'm playing a beautiful grand piano. Um, get some nice coffee. We had a good laugh. We're we alive. Laugh. We're, we're alive, blah, blah, blah. I'm just, I'm going to create whatever it is. It is. This is just a moment. And be 100% in that. Yeah. I'm 20% in and 80% <laughs> thinking about, you know, the two people that are going to listen to the podcast they're going to judge me and not hire me for a gig. Those two people are us. That's true. We always so you're not going to hire me. I'm not going to hire myself. So I, I get it, but there's got to be a way to kind of silence that. That's so funny. I still don't like your walk, man. I don't know what's wrong with my walk. It. You need you, to work on it. You walk, you mocked it, that you mocked the walk. So even coming over to the piano, you think, oh, what am I going to do? If I was just sitting here, my dog, it's, the sun is coming in, touching my dog. She's loving that. Look how relaxed she is. I know. And the sun's coming in. It's a beautiful day. You, you know spring is coming. And I'm worried. Oh, I'm going to hit the wrong note. It's not going to sound like... Even getting that headspace thing. Oh, I better play a cool chord now. Chris would like a cool chord instead of saying, what will my dog like? What's, what does the spring feel like when it starts to come? What's the tone? Is he going to judge my tone? So my dog likes that. Yeah. I like it too, man.
bought a sustain pedal. Now you don't, you're not a sustain pedal. You try and get your students not to use the sustain pedal. Um, or at least understand. Overuse. Yeah. Overuse. I overuse In a it. situation like this, yeah, you have to use it. But. That's a great exercise to take it off. Get a little bockish in there, right? Yeah, just be a. See, I'm not. I'm not as freaked out right now. Like I think we're getting, getting better at that. But see, my dog. Look how happy that dog is. It's bliss. There's the walk. That's it right there. That's funny, you know. And and just how how often do you go home and just play, just for yourself, just to enjoy. That's a good question. Not enough. Because it is there. Because I think it is. It is therapeutic for you too, isn't it? It it's should not just be. work. You know, just to sit down and, and be non-judgmental and just, just play and create. No matter where it goes, whatever happens. Yeah, it is important. And there's, there's a number of uh, great players that talk about that. They, they start their practice that way or they'll end it. Right. Well, they'll just they'll let it all go and they could make all these mistakes and maybe something beautiful happens out of it. But it, uh, it's important because it's a play. You know, you're, you're trying to absorb all this information. You're trying to um, learn these new voicings, learn mm -hmm. these new concepts. Hey, let's try, you're going to play this over this chord. This is new to me. And while you're playing in real time, you're trying to remember all that stuff and it feels forced and not organic. So, and then you get caught up in that and then everything's kind of sounds contrived, uh, non-creative or non-spontaneous. And sometimes just backing off on that and just playing mm -hmm. whatever that looks like. Uh, you can get some really beautiful things that come out of it. Well, but like I said, you know, when you're asked to do that, it should be like this gift um, in any moment. It should be a gift because it is a gift. Yeah, I don't know what... I, I wonder if... I was looking at these guys, some of these piano players that, that died so young. I mean, some of the greats died young. And I wonder if it was because they were so hard on themselves. They just didn't treat their bodies well. They just, their bodies actually paid for the amount of judgment they're just constantly bringing on themselves. Mozart dies, born in 1756, he dies 35 years old. And Beethoven's 57, he's he's born, what, a, a few years after Mozart, he's 57 years old. Chopin is 39. Chopin was brutal on himself. Chopin, I think, played 20 concerts live in his whole life. He, he was petrified of audiences. So he creates really hard music for the rest of us to play and makes us have to do it. Art Tatum's 47, Bill Evans, 51 years old. And these are intense, I have Oscar on this list. Oscar was 82 when he passed away. And he didn't seem to have that same angst. Like Glenn Gould is 50 years old when he died. And Vince Guaraldi, I don't know how, Vince Guaraldi, I don't, I'm not trying to rank him against the Glenn Goulds, but he had a special thing, right? Just the, his style. But they, they all died really young. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a whole list of them. And not just back in 17-whatever, but in, you know, 
And so well, for in like the pop a, world, what is it? Uh, the twenty magic number is it twenty seven? Is that right? Twenty seven or twenty nine? Where you had like uh, Amy Winehouse, uh, Janis Joplin. Right. There's this whole. I, maybe I'm misremembering it, but there's no, that, that might be age. Right. Yeah, there's that where all these stars just all passed away at that age. So yeah, there's probably some. There's abuse that maybe like physical abuse on themselves, like uh, emotional abuse on themselves for beating themselves up, taking the drug route. There's all yeah. that stuff. Um, there's also, yeah, treating themselves like crap, eating not well, not exercising. Like I'm sure Mozart would stay up for days and end, yeah. not eat, trying to pump out some massive piece so and there's not, all this not being good enough in those days you're in the court of somebody who's paying you you've, you've got a a patron that's taking care of you and then now they don't like what you're putting out and there's that pressure you're trying to feed yeah yeah but i think there's a constant pressure that comes off that i i never not i, I never want to stop being critical of myself to grow but i don't want to get to that place where i'm like man i, I never want to play again like i i hate that part that shows up often and yet I just gave a beautiful gift to a lot of people that really enjoyed it. And they told me that. And sometimes, I don't know how you react when someone comes up at the end and says, hey man, great job, like a, a guest or an audience member. I've watched some, some players I play with and they're like, oh no, it wasn't very good. And they put themselves down I'm like, yeah, you can't do that. Because then now you've, you've really disrespected what the person's legitimately said to you. But at the same time, you don't want to go, yeah, man, I'm all that. Um, I'd sign this thing, but I'm too cool. You don't want to be there either. So what, what's, what's the right response? I think the, the right response is to acknowledge that you've given, like no matter how you judge what you were in that moment, that you acknowledge that it has affected someone in a positive mm -hmm. way right. to the point where okay. they felt necessary to come up to you and say, that sounded great. Like that was a beautiful thing and it just, it made my week, whatever. I think that's, you know, the proper way to handle it as opposed to, no, that sucked or whatever. Because then you're, yeah, like you said, you're disrespecting them. You don't want to do that. And sometimes you can self-reflect uh, on that afterwards and go, yeah, a lot of people really seem to love what happened that night. Right. And then reflect on it and actually be able to focus on um, the fact that there were some really strong moments as opposed to focusing on all the negative stuff. So there can be a lesson in there for the artist too, to, to be able to um, reevaluate and distance himself from the performance and then just, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, constructive analysis of what they did mm -hmm. you know and maybe it yeah. is a, it wasn't the best night but that doesn't negate the fact that um, people absolutely loved what you did you know? and I think you would and you don't have you, to, you'd have to go farther with that person you may want to go farther with the client say someone's booking you may want to go farther with your bandmates and say okay what what worked what didn't which i think is a much better 
way to respond to a compliment. Hey man, great playing. Okay, what worked, what didn't? Oh, yeah. appreciate that. So you're training people to go, yeah, Matt, you rushed that. You, you got to work on that that thing there. You know, it's going to work, but it's going to be better. Cool. And you can work on, you can work on that. And that's a different, that's a different headspace to get into. For you know? sure. And that's, sure. that's about trust. I, I interrupted you, but I just wanted to, I felt like interrupting you. Interrupting hey, kind of it's a story of my life. People interrupting me. So we, yeah. That's interesting that it's a gift and, and to think about it as a gift more, it's just, man, it's getting yourself out of the way, you know? Yeah. And you get into, ego. you know, ancient cultures, they, it is, they look towards when they, they do anything artistic is they're looking up and they're going, you know, to their deity or, um, their God, they're looking up there going, can you give me something? Mm -hmm. so that I can honor you or I can and so it's like it's not the artist which we've talked about before but it's getting into that frame of mind where you're you know we spend personally I probably spend 80% of what I'm playing battling myself inside my head and the reason I know that is because there's times where I'm 100% engaged and it's the most magical experience I could have. But then that. that, you know, the majority of the time it's 80%. I'm sitting down there and I'm worried, like all these things are going through my head and I'm overthinking it and I'm worried about being judged, all that stuff. But you are on a stage. I mean, we watch if you watch hockey, you know where you're from, but we have the Edmonton Oilers here. Connor McDavid is a great player, best in the world. And there's nights where it's like, Connor, like what's, what was your problem? But, and he's getting so scrutinized by a million viewers. And so are you, you're, you're on the stage a lot. So there is part of that. It's like, yeah. But the is difference is like, and I think I took, maybe I, I told you this, but I didn't do it on the podcast or whatever. And I've got the video of it. I remember going to a game Connor McDavid got a penalty shot and I'm sitting right behind the goalie at ice level and I'm like, awesome. And it's I'm recording it. Yeah. He goes in, he he greatest player in the world right now. I'm like, this is gonna be amazing. And he's like and misfires and the puck doesn't even get a shot off. It just goes off. And you you watch him like he looks up at the screen, he watches it. That's beautiful. And it's almost yeah. like he he's like Okay, I did one too many moves. Done, and it's erased. Yeah, it's like you know, in the was it the Matrix or some of those sci-fi where they're on the screen and they see it and they just drag it and toss it off. I love it. It's like it's gone, okay, and then the rest of the game. That's the imagery for today. Yeah. Unbelievable yeah. what he was doing. He didn't let it get to him. He didn't let it. He was like, analyze. Okay, I'm not going to do that. Toss, and that's. I think the the top players, that's what they do in every field. Is they don't, they'll make a mistake. Of course, they'll make a mistake. But they're like they don't dwell on it. They just they release. They analyze, release, analyze, release, analyze, release. I love that that yeah. imagery of just of just the screen just tossing it away. How do how do we do that? How do we let it go? Just is it just a growth? Yeah, it's being proactive. You're, you basically, you're rewriting years of self-inflicted 
deprecation. You are re- having to rewrite it, aren't and you? you have to rewrite yeah. it. So it's it's stopping yourself from it. It's putting yourself in situations that are uncomfortable, like what you right. asked me to do, and just going instead of going, oh my god, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? It's like awesome. Let's. let's I'm going to go. create something. Yeah. He asked me to create something. And just, this is what I'm going to do right now, and I'm going to enjoy every moment of it. I'm going to explore. I'm just going to I'm going to put everything into that, as opposed to letting it go the other way. There's a verse in the Bible somewhere. I, I don't know if it's in the New Testament where it says to basically you you renew your mind every day. You re, you recenter re, re to what God or your Creator or whatever you would call that. For me, it would be God would say, "Well, he would. What does God? What does God think of me?" Or so. So you're you're really having to recenter. So every day you're really needing to renew that. In a sense, musically, nope. I'm gonna, I'm taking, I'm taking that thought out. I'm putting the right thought back in. I bring a beautiful gift to this world. Sometimes I'm gonna make a mistake, but that lady over there, that gentleman, is being touched by this music right now. And I made a bunch of mistakes. I'm my worst night ever, but for some reason it's working. So you're taking that thought out of your mind. That I've got a friend of mine, Richard. I think I've talked, quoted him a few times on this on this show. But he says, Matt, you're not the best piano player in the world, and you're not the worst. But you're a piano player. You're somewhere in there, and that's good enough. You're no Oscar, but you're Matt. And trying to find out what's my Matt fingerprint, and it, that can always get. But you can always improve that. But not. Oh, I'm not Oscar, so I'm not going to play. Well, who is Oscar? And Oscar went through that. He quit after listening. His dad brought an album, an Art Tatum album, home. He listened to it and just cried. I yeah, quit for two yeah. weeks or whatever as a you know teenager, but. Like those guys went, those players went through all that. My dad was born seven days before Oscar Peterson in the same city in Montreal. No way. Yeah, both born in 1925. My dad's born on the 7th. Oscar Peterson was born on the 15th, so eight days later. Wow. And he remembers going to dances um, and the band, you could look it up online, but Oscar Peterson started out in this little high school young band and the band leader's name was Johnny Holmes. And the band leader had a saying that said, you'll, you'll hear sighs, but mostly moans on listening to the music of Johnny Holmes. And Oscar was the cat. And my dad's family, they had a cat and they named it out. They named it Oscar after Oscar Peterson. No way. And sort of the, yeah, they were the same age. And I, I thought it was pretty cool. And he loved going to those dances and hearing Oscar play. My dad was not a piano, but he, he was very encouraging of, of all of us to pursue, you know, if we want to pursue music. Yeah, and, yeah. So yeah, same town and, and uh, 1925. But Oscar lived, he, he was 82 when he died. But this Lang Lang, this amazing um, uh, pianist, is, is I watch him play and he, I just I bring him up because he's 40, he's living great, he's gonna do great. He's not one of these ones that's gonna pass away young because I think he's, just, he's got a different mindset or something. And living in a different era too, I think we take better care of ourselves. But he's world like he'd be one of the top in the world right now. But he went to St. Pancras Station, which is in London, one of the subway major subway stations there. And they've got an upright piano there, and he had a concert. And you can see it on YouTube. If you Have you seen that at all? No, I haven't, Flight actually. of the Bumblebee. Unbelievable. Sits down and rips Flight of the Bumblebee. Like, unbelievable. Everyone's watching. They've got a GoPro camera on his hands. And there he is. And he knows the whole world is going to see this in about five minutes because it's going to go everywhere. And he was talking about rehearsing for it before and practicing and being a little nervous about, like you're playing in a subway station. But you said you played in a subway station. And I think the point of that is that you're reaching people that would not, would not normally expect. Like there's this juxtaposition of beautiful music and this classical player in a train station. And yep. you did that a number of years ago in Edmonton here or something. Had some. Yeah, it was a, uh, I believe it was a co-op between... Um, Street Performers Festival and ETS. Okay, Edmonton Transit Service. 
Yeah. Okay. And yeah. so uh, myself and a vocalist, Andrea House, would just do a do gig usually early. Most of the time it was early in the morning. Is that a few months you, you did that for? How long? Yeah, I think it was, it started in the summer and then there was some, some hits during the fall, maybe up until November or December. Can't remember exactly. They were kind of sporadic. There was a yeah. whole bunch of different artists that were circulating through it. Um, but yeah, it was it was amazing. Like, uh, and it was amazing to me the amount of the people that reacted to it were mostly the homeless. Well, because you got everybody. You've got homeless. I know where homeless. those places are. You got homeless. You got the guy who's making three hundred thousand bucks a year. Uh, so what's that like? Tell me what. Did it you was have amazing. homeless people come up to you? Did yeah, you hundred percent. Really? And then there was times where the homeless, like they could barely walk and they're stumbling and they yeah. walk up to the band and they toss a loony down. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That's, Meanwhile, like, like you pointed out, there's this business dude that's making $300,000 a year. It's just steaming by and doesn't have, doesn't, isn't, isn't even aware that there's live music there. Yeah, but just you've cruising. got these homeless people just being really like, engaged in in what's going on and it just really it really opens your your eyes to the power of music and and just i guess in a lot of ways how our society is just going away from that yeah where it's almost like the the homeless they get it they see they see that and it affects them and they're like this is you know, for someone that's got absolutely nothing, that's looking for money, to have right. them throw down a loony, yeah, is is absurd to me. Like it just really put things in perspective. Didn't you tell me one? There was a guy that sang, or some girl sang one time with you, or there was a just out of the blue. Yeah, we were in uh, an LRT station, and um, this this homeless guy was sitting beside us for a while. And then all of a sudden you could, I don't know what triggered it, but then he was like, Hey, you triggered yeah, it. I triggered it. I'm well, no, you did. You tri in a good way. I mean, your yeah, music yeah. did what it's supposed to do. It triggered that. So then he was like, Hey, do you know this country tune? And I'm like, no, he's like, what, who's the artist? And then I Google it, listen to a bit of it and, you know, play a bit of the progression. And you, he heard it right away and then would start singing these tunes and knew all the lyrics and there was some rap stuff he got into. Like Crazy. it was absolutely amazing. And he was, you know, completely messed up, but you could tell And I'm like, man, how do you know all this stuff? Like, this is amazing. Like yeah. rattling it off. No hesitation. He's like, yeah, I used to, you know, I love country music. I love this, this stuff and, and rap and, I used to, uh, it sounded like he did a lot of karaoke when he was younger and go and, and do these things or when he was at bars, you know, singing around, but it was amazing to see, you know, and he was, he was, he wasn't, uh, aggressive. He wasn't, uh, disrespectful. Right. He was just, it completely ignited this passion in him. Do you ever wonder how many souls are out there that, had they had the chance, we talk about privilege, you know, you and I had a great chance. We had great music school. We had, uh, upbringings, homes that, that fostered that for us. Um, but how many people and so, and life threw them, you know, a curve and there they are, they're homeless, but they've got this beautiful gift in them. And you gave that person a chance that day. I mean, 
how many others are like that that are we don't see them and and because we walk by we walk by them all the time because whatever all that that drunk person or whatever we walk by you might be walking by a gift and you got to see that that's pretty cool yeah it was it was really an amazing moment that's amazing yeah Yeah. it always i always get a bad like those guys that go whipping by girls go then they're business people i get it they're they're busy they've got a contract they've got something to do as well they got to be somewhere but it always seems like that it's it's those they just don't have the time there was we were talking about the violin player i, I want to say joshua bell is that right i can't remember if it, he was, who it the, was but it yeah. was in new york or washington whatever and he was playing in the subway and everyone's walking by it's, it's on youtube you can type you can search yeah, violin player a, a million dollar stradivarius yeah playing great stuff and everyone just kind of ignores it uh speaking of singing out like we talked about karaoke a little bit earlier and I just want to get into that for a second because I think there's something, two things I, I was, I'm terrified of that I didn't really like is dueling pianos and, um, and karaoke. Cause I had a bad experience. I had a bad experience. I just wasn't very good at dealing pianos. That was the experience, but karaoke. So this guy basically is doing live karaoke with you in a subway station yep. doing his thing. And I had a bad taste in my mouth about karaoke until December 8th this year. Went, went with my friend, Greg, and uh, Greg and I do lots of, we like doing karaoke for a lot of the seniors because he owns a, a company that has a lot of independent and assisted living places around Alberta. And so we'll show up and do these events. Greg always grabs the mic and he sings and it's a lot of fun. So we finished one of these gigs one night and uh, he says, go to the bar and do karaoke. So we walked in there I'm like, Greg, I hate, actually hate it. Hate karaoke. We started to sing a couple tunes. We sang Sweet Caroline together. We sang Walk a Life. I'm like, oh, this is okay. But what I noticed in there, Chris, was all these people there's one one kid got up there and everyone's cheering for him. Well, he had a stroke 10 years ago and he has no very little right side, I think right side function. He's up there singing his guts out and everyone's cheering for him. And another kid goes up there and he just broken up with his girlfriend or whatever. Another guy comes in off, like looks like he's off the rigs, like dressed like that. No offense, it just looks like he's, you know, been taking some shifts and he's in town, gets up there and he's got this crazy... Brian Adams range, kind of Bon Jovi range, and he's nailing these tunes. He goes back, sits down with his buddies, and thinking, I can't do that. Like, this is my life. I'm a musician, and I can't do that. Girl comes in, and she's lost. Like, it was like this kind of community, churchy kind of thing where everyone was just loving each other. And my perspective changed on karaoke. Greg left about 11, 10 or 11. I stayed till 1. Wow, man. I hung out with these people. And it, something shifted in me about, about karaoke and being like, this is their thing. Yeah, it might not be musically perfect, but... This is their chance, and there's some beautiful people. So whether it's at Subway or in karaoke, there's some amazing people out there that we've missed in our world, I yep. think. And it's therapeutic, right? Totally therapeutic. They were just loving on each other and, yep. and supporting and cheering for each other. They weren't saying, hey, you know, you messed up that section. you got to work on that. They just cheered and hugged each other. It was, yep. it was insane. And, and you've, you've been to karaoke in your life? Yes, I have. I have. Yeah, and it, it's um, it's not my thing, but I can sit there and, as you pointed out, I mean we're musicians, and yeah, I couldn't go up there and sing, uh, like it uh, would, yeah. it would. There's no way. Even if someone, I think if someone paid me two hundred bucks, I wouldn't do it. Well, the problem with the karaoke is that it it can actually deter people from singing because. Most karaoke doesn't change the key of the song. Right. And I've had singers, I work at this hospital I told you about, and I've had singers, and there are people in my own life that, like, I can't sing. 
and said, oh, you can't sing or you can't sing in the range of that song you've been trying to sing in for years. Maybe because you didn't take lessons or maybe that's just not your range. And it's helped so many people when you say, let's drop it like Ed Sheeran tunes. I can't sing Ed Sheeran tunes in his key, but if I drop it a third or a fourth, I can sing them. Right. So, but if I try to sing, oh, I'm not, not good. I can't sing like Ed Sheeran. No, of course I can't sing, but I can sing like me and, and come back to fingerprint. And I wish there was more karaoke that you, you'd actually change because some is MIDI, some you can change it MIDI and then it makes it easier for people to sing. Cause I think people have better experience. So here's to you karaoke uh, people out there. If you've been singing in karaoke and it's uh, you think you can't sing, um, maybe it's just the key. So maybe just, maybe we on. should develop a, uh, <laughs> A karaoke um, platform with that ability. I have one. I have. I have it. And you can change all the keys. All the keys. Like yeah, you have you access to you, all the it, tunes. It's. I'll show you. It. It's cool. It's all MIDI. All. All the stuff is input MIDI, so that you can actually change it all. And it's nice. And it's got a little applause button on the on the microphone. You can push that and stuff. But if you go normally, you're going to get um, living on a prayer in original E minor. And or whatever it is, and no one could do that. I mean, it's you're not Bon Jovi. Michael Jackson was brilliant because he sang high enough that we can actually sing in our register, and it sounds like oh, we can sing these Michael Jackson tunes. Well, he's actually singing an octave higher. Right. There's a brilliance, brilliance to that writing. So yeah. I think a lot of people have had a bad experience, but so cool that you got to meet in the subway some of those folks who. But yeah. haunt, those honestly, those people haunt me, and the karaoke people they haunt me because I wonder. They were, they were good. They had a chance. They didn't have the opportunity. And here we are. And it makes me go, Matt, you got to be more, you got to be more humble and thankful about what you've been given. Every time you touch that piano or sing or whatever you do, because yep. someone else, they had a better chance. They either take, take your spot had they had a, had they had that chance. So yeah, for sure. That's the truth. So, um, I want to talk about dueling pianos. You've done it before. Or you haven't, you've haven't. seen it. I've seen it. I haven't done it. Okay. So you had, I told you I had my ass kicked, eh? Yeah. Yeah. I had three dueling piano, grueling piano shows. And uh, Danielle Abel, who we're going to have on sometime, I think, she'll talk to us about it's a whole different mindset. Oh, 100%. It's not about playing piano great. It's not even about singing great. It's about knowing a billion tunes and connecting with the audience for three hours straight. And that's what it was. So I had three of these shows at Spotlight Cabaret here in Edmonton. And I have, I have 700 songs in my book. I think, oh, for sure, I'm going to know. And I knew maybe 25% of them out of my 700 songs and Danielle, nope, no problem. Boom, boom, boom. She was just nailing these tunes. Wow. And I was like, I was going to, to uh, dueling piano school and I have so much respect for that dueling piano gift or that skill. That That's an art. It's oh, a craft. 100%. The Sean Sinegos, the Katie's, these people in Edmonton, well, whatever city you're in, you've got yeah, your, and it's a whole different thing, right? hundred percent. I just couldn't believe it. I thought, oh man, I'll play some cool Bruce Hornsby. No one cared. Nobody yeah. cared. Yeah. They didn't care. And I was, yeah. So I learned a lot and uh, I'd like to do it again, but she said, Matt, you've, and that's the thing I said when I was done with her, and that's a great question to ask anybody when you're done your concert, whoever, just ask your friends, how did it go? I don't want, Hey, great job. And not call me again. Tell me why you're not going to call me again. Unless you, unless it changes, I'm not going to call you again. I want that. And she yeah, said, yeah. Matt, you've got, you're just holding back. You're just scared. You've got a lot more in you. Like she's telling me this stuff. You got that's a lot great. more in you. You got to push it out and get it out there. And she's exactly right. And so Dueling piano meant I was out of control and I don't like being out of control. Right. That's what it was. So that's my dueling piano experience. And yeah, I do it again in a second, but I got to learn like 1 billion more songs and it's, which you will. You oh will. yeah. It's, it's tricky though. So yeah. maybe get you up there. Maybe we can do a dueling piano thing sometime. And Oh, that would totally 
push me out of my comfort zone. But it's a sea. It's a sea of 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 requests. Like just oh, they cover yeah. the piano. It's money and requests all over the piano. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know any of these tunes. I can't rap. I can't anyway. But you smile and you just keep doing it. But three you just hours, do it. no break. So what's uncomfortable for you? What's your, what would make you uncomfortable if you had to do a gig tonight? Well, that one for sure. Okay. Like, uh, and I've told you the story of the, the Atlas restaurant, the, the start of it where. Which are coming back by the way. Yeah. And starting next month. So you and I are going to be doing that. Some Which other great, great players. That's out there. of my comfort zone where. But see, that doesn't make any sense to me. I hear you play, and that, that seems it's, like it's pop tunes, Chris. Like, you play all this intense jazz stuff, and these are pop tunes with four chords. Why is that intense for you? Because I haven't, I haven't like, I've played in pop bands, but I yeah. haven't played solo piano where I'm playing the melody and, you know, not overplaying the tune. Right. It's... It, it's great for me. That's what, I mean, it's out of my comfort zone, but it's, it's in, in a great way where I, it's going to benefit my overall playing. So that, um, I go out of, out of my comfort zone a lot as a freelance musician, mm -hmm. which I love. Yeah. There, but there's, there's certain things that will really, like the dueling piano, there's no chance because I don't sing. Um, yeah, but if I did, you don't, that would yet. be ex <laughs> yeah, extremely out of my comfort zone. Just the vibe of it. So, so I, let me ask you that question. Why don't you sing? Cause you obviously have pitch that you, you can hold, you can pitch match. I don't know. I just, it, from a get go, like as a kid, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I was afraid to use my voice. I didn't. Maybe it was just the fear of judgment in every aspect of my life. And the singing, like, is... It's you. It is you. It's so you, I just man. didn't I just didn't do it. Yeah. I just backed away from it. I, I could sing. I'm sure of it, but I just... It terrifies me. Well, you said you had to sing with Charlie when we did the thing with Charlie, which was great. Um, but you said you had to sing O Canada at that. Yeah, that was... Yeah, let's not go back there. But well, I think it would be a good good thing. At some point, I'm going to take singing lessons, not necessarily to learn how to, well, obviously to learn how to sing, but I think as an instrumentalist, it helps you connect mm -hmm. with your inner voice because it is your voice, you know, which will help me connect to my voice through my instrument of the piano. So can I hold you to that? Voice yeah. lessons? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Uh, and even I've been taking some stuff online um, because I want to improve. And I don't do anything for my voice. I don't practice. Well, these professionals, they, they show up. Um, Kilala uh, Bern uh, Bernard. Who's that singer? Uh, he plays in Retrofits. Um, amazing singer. I think it's Bernard. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. He shows up to a gig with a full kit of stuff. And he's, he, he wor he's been working on his voice before he gets there. And then he's got all this other stuff that he does. These exercises, it's just the way he sues his throat, everything before he grabs the mic. Yeah. And that's like, I don't do anything and I expect to get a, so all that to say, there's some great stuff on YouTube. There's some actually really good teachers that can just give you some basic um, exercises, the bubble exercise and these different exercises yeah, yeah. that you can just do every day just to work on, on your voice. But yeah, I expect different results and I don't work hard at that stuff. So... 
Yeah, but there's something about that for sure. So you'd like to be able, if you could sing, you'd like to be able to sing. I think it, yeah. Well, it also, it's a, it makes, as you know, it'll make you more employable. Mm-hmm. So now like yeah. you're doing a country gig, now you can sing back at home vocals. And a lot of times right. they're not looking for the player that can knock it out of the park. Yeah. They're looking at a player that can play the parts, but then adds this other voice. Mm-hmm. So now you're, it's just makes you more employable. But you do that too. Like employable, you were just down in Dallas, Texas doing something that for a, a, a decidedly dance. Is that what is? So it was for the university S SMU in, in Dallas. And, um, the woman that runs that program, excuse me, choreographed a piece for decidedly jazz dance out of Calgary last, um, I guess it would have been end of April, beginning of May, that show. And Ruben Di Toledo, bass player, composer, um, section head of, uh, bass at the university, uh, McEwen composed the, the piece. So she wanted to bring, that element to her students at SMU and and the artistic director, Kimberly Cooper had a new piece that she wanted that Ruben also wrote the music for. So I was lucky enough to be able to be brought down there with Ruben to work with a local band Nice with the actual dancers. So you play live during their, their performance. (coughs) Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, and they had never used a live band before. How was it? So the amazing thing that happened at the end of the rehearsal, the first rehearsal, we finished the piece, and uh, I don't know whatever the energy was that it was in the room. The percussion and the drummer just started the groove again, and the dancers had been full out dancing this piece for ten minutes. They were exhausted. But the, the vibe, the drummer and the percussion started up again and the dancers started all moving. And for about 10 more minutes, there was this uh, community improv, Love it. dance energy. Like they were, it was, it was amazing. And then I totally unrehearsed. They just did it. They just did it. And it, it just kept going. And then the teacher said that she had talked to a number of students the next day in class, and a lot of them had called her parents and said, we just had this magical experience. So like, cool. And that's what it, that's what it should be. And it, as, as a, being in the band, it was also amazing. And it just reinstates in your, re, uh, ingrains in your head that that's why you're doing what you're doing is for that so yeah absolutely amazing and you just jump back in and play it and just kind of you just jam on on the groove and it just turned into this collective energy transfer between the musicians the dancers and yeah it was it was amazing that sounds like a lot of what you did for that guy in the subway that day is that you similar yeah you gave him that opportunity yeah and that was organic you guys didn't call ahead of time and say hey what time are you showing up no, and it was just, it wasn't planned. Like, obviously, playing the piece and the dance, mm-hmm. but the thing at the end, for whatever reason, 
the drummer and the percussionist just like there was something going on in the room and they just started again and then the dancers started engaging and move as exhausted as they were they just it triggered this new release of energy and they cool. just so yeah amazing that's so beautiful when that happens yeah. and yeah you can't work it up you can't i guess you can rehearse to become the kind of player that can improvise which is important but you can't rehearse up that beauty that that moment that's going to just show up no you couldn't recreate that no like it would just it would seem fake but yeah that moment was just so organic and for everyone involved yeah yeah that is very very cool yeah well this has been quite a i wanted to ask you a bit i don't know if we have time but we're chris and i are going to be playing with some other players at uh, atlas restaurant here in edmonton they're going to be opening up more dates uh, but they're going to start with a couple right away so we're going to have probably good stories about that but i like talking to guests going to the get, getting them to come to the piano do you find they come up to the piano and they talk to you when yeah. you're when you're playing yeah not not a lot but it, it definitely happens and you find there's certain there's certain spots you, you can play certain songs or certain progressions and talk but once if you're playing a melody or something like that i find it's i can't i can't keep that focus as well i can do chords yeah. and stuff but once the melody kicks in it's like I'm trying to talk by turn to like Chewbacca. I started yeah, doing yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. I can't. It's like, what's wrong with that guy? Yeah. Well, I can't. <laughs> yeah, that was a good Chewbacca. That was, that really was good a good one. Wasn't bad. You couldn't. You couldn't recreate that. <laughs> don't try. Actually. Yeah, it's and it's funny. There's certain songs like in Jasper when we were there. The guys would tease me that it was Take Five was the song. You start playing Take Five. For some reason, that would bring people out of their seats. Let's go talk to the piano player right now as he goes into the B section and tries to pull that off. And now, and they'd laugh. And they, sure enough, the guys would come over, a girl would come over and, hey, how are you doing? Oh, you've worked here a long time. <laughs> it's like, I, why don't you do it with the rose or something? Yeah, I'm yeah. playing the rose. I can do it for that. Yeah, usually in that, like, especially in solo piano, it's a little easier where you, you just go into a vamp yeah. on that vibe. Or if you know the the progression and the tune extremely well then you drop the melody and you just kind of cycle through that yeah and then there's other tunes where it's a new tune that you're adding to your repertoire and it's a gong show <laughs> you know you're like you almost want to say listen i don't really know this tune so can you come back after but they you know they you got to respect that whatever they're saying to you like they're coming up to you so you try to fake your way through it, and, but it is a good, good exercise too. Like if you can do that, it just means you really know the tune, and yeah. that's where you want the tune to get to. Anyways, like yeah, that's to where, create yeah, over that's it right. is doesn't matter what is going on. It's like juggling. You don't want to have to. You don't want to think about it. Yeah, well, I was pretty down on myself with that dueling piano thing, and then I started laughing. I realized, hold on a second, you're playing left hand bass and chords and singing at the same time and smiling and trying to connect with that audience like matt like lighten up on yourself like yeah. it's okay it's okay if this isn't right in time and you missed up some lyrics yeah just you know go easy go easy on you but you never know what that's going to do for somebody when they come over and they've had a whatever kind of day and they they want to just get close to you they want to be there they want to be present in what in what you're doing so yeah it's pretty 100%. cool yeah. Well, we had quite a journey today, Chris, talking yeah, about young piano players and the intricacies of the piano. 220-some strings on that instrument. And uh, 
yeah, there's, there's good reasons for that. I like getting into that though. We can maybe get into that more, talk about the... That's how old I actually feel. So how <laughs> after is it, this? Yeah. 220 strings, 220 years. Okay. And the tension, the 20, you feel and, the 20 tons of tension? And, yeah, <laughs> actually, good point. 20 tons of tension as well in my back. So if I asked you to do the wrap-up today, would you be okay with that? Say goodbye to everybody. I'll play something on the piano. You can chat and... Wow, you're really tossing up. Sure, I can try. All right, let's 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 do that. I'm going to go to the piano and play I some... I might miserably fail, but... Oh, just do what you do. And, yeah. you know, my dog's starting to bark. She's getting... Because the dog next door is starting to bark. Yeah. And now she's like, you know, if you guys don't wrap this up soon. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to let you wrap up today. And uh, this has been fun, Chris. It's always great talking to you. And I love the stories that seem to connect with real life, whether you're a piano player or not listening to the show. Um, the idea, just the subway idea, I, that really hit me today when you're talking about that. The fact that you brought your gift to that person that you didn't know that was maybe high, drunk, whatever, and it made a difference. I think you make a musical memory on somebody that they don't forget. Um, and that's pretty cool. Like that's, no, that's it's, really connecting. It's an amazing, amazing journey. And again, you, in those moments, you kind of realize the power of what you do. Yeah. Take the ego out of it as hard as it is and just um, relish those moments. Like it's, it's a big deal. Well, I'm going to do my walk over to the piano. Why do you judge my walk when I go over there? I don't know. I just, cool you know what? It's I've, awkward, isn't it? Because I'm getting up, I'm old. I guess it's my bones are like, you can't quite get no, in the stride. It's or that or if it's just, I'm trying to make myself feel better about my walk. No, you got a cool walk. You haven't worn the ripped jeans though since I, but I bought ripped jeans. Did I tell you that? After no. I saw yours, I told my wife, I need ripped jeans like Chris. Yeah, but I <laughs> made those ripped jeans because. Life made those ripped jeans. Yeah, there's a difference, all right? <laughs> There's there's soul in those jeans because I've worn them every day for five years. It's now like we're going to talk. I'm like, wrapping up. I'm going to talk about my financial situation and my struggles of how to make ends meet. Are you doing while a you play? Are you doing a Chris GoFundMe when I'm over at the piano? Yeah, <laughs> let's talk about that. So the jeans have the same energy that the piano. You talked about the piano having energy of all those years. Yeah. All the people that wore those jeans before you found them at Value Village or Goodwill. Yeah, think of that. That's what I. Yeah. Maybe don't think about that because there's probably some really dark stories in that as well, which we don't want to think about. Well, this is going to be my first uh, first attempt at the wrap-up. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, my name is Chris Andrew, and Matt Day is at the piano playing some beautiful background music and uh, hopefully you've uh, get some information out of this that you can use what we're trying to do here is is hopefully give insight to anyone really about how to deal with situations in this industry um, performance creative uh, insight so I'm just enjoying the, the, the music anyways we look forward to dropping another podcast real soon and until then 
Stay safe and be creative. Lots of love.